Amen. We are in the book of Revelation. They take a break after this week from these letters um, focusing upon the birth of Christ, the Christmas season here upon us. But uh, turn me to Revelation 2 and read verses 1 through 7. If you'll stand in our God's honor as I read from his precious word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Uh, Master, we need you. I ask that you continue to move in this service, Lord, that we would worship you, that we would turn to you, and that you would open your word to us, Father. Um, your word says in Psalm 119, 130, that the folding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So, Father, unfold your word to us um, that we may hear from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A number of years ago, uh, one of the churches um, that I served, I would go on many mornings to an associational meeting, and there were a group of us pastors that would get together and share. And I found out that there was this person in the community that had made it their goal for God to visit every church in the association and to write each church a letter of what the person discovered in the church. The problem was, to be quite honest with you, the letters were all condemnation. There was nothing that was uplifting. I'm grateful God doesn't treat us like that. Um, Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The ultimate way he looks at us is not through the condemnation. Matter of fact, it's kind of funny. I, I was trying to think. Our letter did come. <laughs> the person did visit. But I don't remember anything about the letter. Why? Because I've chosen not to dwell on it all these years. But there's a different type of letter that was written to God's churches. The seven churches. And we're going to look at the first letter this morning. And the characteristics of that letter. And uh, so let's just jump right in with time. Some observations about all the letters. First, they are open letters. Although they are addressed to specific churches, seven churches in particular, every church can learn specifically from these letters. Secondly, they are not anonymous letters. This person, of course, I was talking about as he wrote his letters to each church. Never signed who the letter was from. I told one church I was in where 
there was a person that seemed to write me an anonymous letter every Monday morning. And so, I don't know, finally after several weeks of this, I, I told the people from the pulpit, I said, you know, I keep getting these letters on Monday morning and they're never signed. So here's the deal, guys. If you are too afraid to sign the letter, I'm too afraid to read it. So I just won't read it. And then I found out um, in, in studying that Charles Spurgeon, the, the preacher, that all these would come and pack his church and listen outside his church in an age before um, there were speakers and, you know, uh, electricity, uh, that every Monday morning, Charles Spurgeon got a letter. And I love the story of D.L. Moody, who shared uh, about a letter that he got just before he got up to speak. It was folded in half. It only had one word on it. The word was full. And so Moody got up and he said, well, i got to tell you about this letter somebody just handed me. I opened it up and it said full. And, and here's his great words. He said, I've often received mail in which the person has written a message to me without signing their name. But this time, someone has signed his name without writing a message. <laughs> this letter, though, it is not anonymous. Look how he opens it up here in chapter 2. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And we see, go back to chapter 1. and We looked at this last week. In verse 12, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. <laughs> his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. As a matter of fact, each of these seven letters, there is an opening description of the who wrote the letters, and it's Jesus. Matter of fact, the book, this book starts out, it says it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And each letter gives a specific characteristic or a, a portrait of the Lord Jesus as the one who writes. Uh, matter of fact, uh, thirdly, there's a pattern through each of these letters. First, there is a characteristic of Christ, a marker that says this is Jesus writing <laughs> to you, church. Secondly, there is a compliment or two from Christ. I love it. He, before he gets into the criticism, he's got a compliment. We're all a mixed bag. And I'm grateful that when Jesus looks at us, he sees the good stuff before he hammers in on the hard stuff. <laughs> Which means he moves from the compliments to some criticism. And then finally, with a correction or a challenge. In other words, he never wants to leave us in our mess. He wants to pull us up. He wants to pull us out. And then fourthly, these letters are addressed to specific churches, but they're for the self-examination of every one of us. Every one of us can, can look at these letters that instead of looking out there and saying, man, I see some hypocrites. I see some people in the church. They're just not living for Christ. Matter of fact, this is a joke. Man, he, before you do this, do this. That is the call. It's like, God, where am I before you? Lord, help me be honest before you about my own life. May I be captured by Christ. Matter of fact, look what he says here. 
in the first part of verse 7 here of chapter 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Before I move on here, just a quick point here. In chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of this book is attributed to God the Father. In chapter 1, verse 18, is attributed to God the Son. And in chapter 2, verse 7, it is attributed to the Spirit. So God, the triune God, is spoken of fully in this letter. As a matter of fact, this phrase of let him who have ears, you, you hear it, it's in Revelation 2, verse 11, verse 17, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 13, and chapter 3, verse 22. So let him who has ears. It is kind of a strange way to put it. I mean... Sometimes we forget stuff, right? I mean, I've known to be run out the door and forget my belt or forget my glasses. Uh, different things. Uh, hopefully, uh, none of us have run out the door and forgot our teeth. Something like that. Uh, but there's a picture of forgetting. But, you know, your ears are attached. So I, I don't think what he's saying here, be sure and get those ears screwed on tight. But rather, he's speaking of Open your heart and your mind to Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God so that you can hear specifically what He wants to say to you. That you have a willing heart. That you have a willing mind to hear directly from Him. So let's get right into the compliments that our Lord gives to the church at Ephesus. First, He says that you guys are diligent. Look in verse 2, chapter 2. He says... I know your deeds. It was a picture here of the fact that you guys, uh, you're hard workers. You know, you don't just show up. You show up to serve. And it was a picture here in Ephesus of, of the God that was common of that day that was worshipped was the goddess Diana. And, and her temple is one of the seven wonders of the world. Matter of fact, it was so fantastic that when Alexander the Great, that conqueror, moved to that part of the world, he tried to pay Ephesus so that he could inscribe his name on that temple. But his great wealth and, and his great authority and power, they refused. This great temple, it's the size of approximately two football fields and has 127 pillars. Made of huge rocks, 55 feet tall, which held up this great temple. It was an area where people would come and they would buy these small trinkets that were considered to have power. And it reminds us today of people who buy these energy rocks in order to be able to get in touch with some kind of energy flow that goes through them. <laughs> In Acts chapter 19, we read about Paul as he is in Ephesus and he is preaching. And there are those that are angry and that uh, cry out for two hours, it says in Acts 19.28. They cry out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So there was a passion, a, a diligence toward this goddess Diana. But the scriptures also declare that many of them came to a new passion. It was a passion for Jesus Christ. As the truth of the gospel came to life and Timothy came in and, and he pastored these people. Secondly, there was a determination. 
Notice what he says here in the next part of verse 2. Your hard work and your perseverance. This picture of hard work in the Greek is a picture of working to exhaustion. Till you have nothing left. You know, it's not just inspiration, it's perspiration through the difficult circumstances. And then third, what they were doing right is they were a people who were disciplined in their faith. He says here in the last part of verse 2, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. There are people who, they didn't just believe everything they heard. They tested what was around them and tested the credibility of the messages that they heard to see what value that they had. Matter of fact, in Acts 20, 29 through 31, it says, I know that Paul speaking, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. In verse 6, he gives this warning. He says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. No one knows for sure who the Nicolaitans were. Just that there was obviously not an allegiance to the true Christ as Lord. And his master, I I read of one scholar who said it was a belief of this idea of, of grace, 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 grace. No matter what you do and no matter what you continue to do, God will forgive you and he will love you. Hey, listen, he will forgive you and he will love you. But if you love him, your life needs to change. It's called repentance. It's called taking a turn God's direction and following Him. And, and, and so Jesus is saying to them, you know, you're not just talking about me and then you walk out and forget who I am and your lives don't match up with a submission to me. He says, you guys have a life where your lips and your life, they match, they come together. And then fourthly, as He speaks to them... He talks about their devotion. Beautiful here at the end of verse 2. Or, or verse 3 says, You have persevered and endured hardships in my name, and you have not grown weary. They didn't do it in their name. I mean, after all, they could have said, Man, we are the church, man. We have had two apostles. That have come and they've spoken at our church and they're connected to our church. And and we are the church that is on the move. We're the church of the day. But they didn't speak directly about we are the church. They said it is for your name. It is for the name of Jesus. And that's really what it's about, right? It's about Jesus Christ. That the message that pours out of our lives is not a message of, let me tell you about Kingsway Baptist Church. No, let me tell you about why we're here at Kingsway Baptist Church. Because of the King. That's, that's, that's ultimately why we're here. And now that brings us to the correction here. 
Look what he says here in verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. Oh boy, here it comes. <laughs> you have forsaken your first love. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who you've become in Christ. You've lost your sense of identity. Listen to Ephesians 1, verse 15. Paul writes, I've heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Initially, when they came to Christ, this is how they were known throughout the community. People heard about their faith, that they trusted Jesus and they walked with Him on a daily basis. And they took Jesus seriously. And they wanted to trust Him with the easy stuff and the hard stuff and all the stuff. And they loved one another. The saints really cared about each other. There was an obvious, genuine, authentic connection with Jesus and one another. What happens, uh, churches first are planted and they get started. And there's that focus. But as the years go by... Um, like that hymn says, you know, we're prone to leave the God we love. We slip up. We miss Him. Ray Stedman, in his commentary, writes this. How easy it is over time to become mechanical, routine, dull. You listen to the Word of God or to a powerful sermon or to the testimony of a fellow Christian. And you feel you've heard it all already. You become critical of others. You... Become complainers. You become more selective in your friendships. Singling out only those who match your thinking, your level, your status. Your needs become more and more important in your thinking. And the result is division and schism. Wow. So what's the answer? Well, he shares it in three verbs. In verse Five, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand, your testimony, your influence, removed from the place it's meant to stand in the community where you live. So the first answer here is, remember. <laughs> remember when you first met Jesus. Remember when you understood that you didn't deserve His salvation, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. Remember how the power of the gospel, it, it was on your heart. It was your heart beat. Remember how you sought to depend on Christ and how it was fresh and how it was new. He said, remember. Remember that. Go back. When your marriage, you know, if it's grown stale, remember what it was like when your heart used to thump, 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 and your hand used to sweat. And you'd be going, woo, I can hardly wait till I see her. Remember. Or remember, ladies, how he used to make you feel. He is saying here in this regard, not to romantic love, but into unconditional love to the one who's loved you unconditionally. Remember how he loves you. And may that be how you are to love him. That, that is 
the call. Secondly, the second uh, verb here speaks of repent. Repent and do the things you did at first. It's time to come clean before God. He says, I, I want you... You know what the truth is. You just, just don't want to admit it. You just want to keep coasting along. Walking on the fence. Or you want to be a part of church, but you don't want Jesus to get too close. You don't want Him to really see inside. It's a lie. Guys, the only way to find healing is first to let the master physician look at how sick you really are. And, and, and you repent and, and you turn from that direction and you turn His direction. Is it going to hurt? Well, yeah, when you cut a cancer out, it hurts, I'm sure. But then healing is allowed to occur. So he says, stop flirting with that way of life. It says in Proverbs 23, 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Go his direction. And the third one here is to return. Is to return. He says, do the things you did at first. And what's tragic here, he says, if you do not do that, you will lose your lampstand, you will lose the life that I have given you in your community. My fear is that there are a lot of believers and more churches, and it's not my job, I'm not the Holy Spirit to tell you who the churches are, who the Christians are, because I don't know. That's the job of His Spirit. But my fear is that there are people and there are churches who have lost their lampstand. Who are not preaching Jesus or the gospel. And there is not a real genuine love among them that seeps out into the community and leaks Jesus so that he is seen. And so the lampstands are gone. Matter of fact, uh, uh, there was some a survey taken some time back. And this is the sad thing. They had asked churches, what is the purpose of the church? And in that particular study, 90% of the churches that were surveyed responded, the main purpose of the church is to take care of me and my family and to meet my family's needs. That is not the main purpose of the church. The main purpose of the church is Jesus. I love the way Rick Warren puts it. The great commission plus the great commandment equals a great church. Man, that's where it happens. We're to be about the gospel. That's where our hearts are to be. That's why we're here. You know, it's really sad. Today in Ephesus, there is little, if any, testimony of Christ. Lampsticks have gone out. <laughs> uh, just let me conclude here. A couple of words. Uh, first, it's possible to be busy for God without being a blessing for God. Let that sink in. It's possible to be busy for God without being a blessing for God. Ouch. Secondly, it's possible to be persevering for orthodoxy and not have the power of deity. Man, you can be doctrinally got it together. I am a man of the Bible. And not have the power of God. 
Why? Because it is more than being doctrinally correct. It's being filled with the Spirit of God. It's walking with Jesus. All that has to come together. Uh, Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries, all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith, and give all my possessions to the poor, surrender my bodies to the flame, to be burned. But if I don't have love, he said, I am nothing. There must be the love of Christ. Third, it's possible to have a lofty reputation outside the church without having loving relationships inside the church. God wants us to do some searching here instead of there. Here. <laughs> I close with this illustration. A few years ago in the... Uh, Tournament of Roses parade. Uh, you know, it's being telecast millions. And, and the amazing work that must go into these floats. They're beautiful. And uh, I remember how great it was when we first uh, got a color TV. And you could really see the color of the beauty of those roses, you know, in the, in the parade. All the work that has to go in to preparing these floats. What a job. But a few years ago... In the middle of the parade, one of the floats stopped right in the middle of the parade. Apparently, the float broke down, wouldn't move. And it sat there and stopped the whole parade for a while. You know what the problem was? The float ran out of gas. They did all that work, but somebody forgot to make sure there was enough gas in the tank so that the float could make it through the parade. You know what's really funny? The float was the standard oil company. <laughs> Church, are you full of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, uh, remember, repent, return. We invite you. Speak to us, Master. Holy Spirit, have your way. Uh, um, if we need to come to an altar, may we come, Lord. If we need to share from the heart, may we share with your people. If we need to make a decision um, and, and to return to those things that used to be first. Uh, what a great time to do that. Now, <laughs> to turn to you, Lord. I, I just ask you, Father, to move among us. In this time we call invitation, response, uh, Lord, we want the movement of your spirit. And, and so just we just invite you to be a part. As we stand and sing, we invite you to move us, Lord, for your awesome glory. We want to be your church, not our church. So move, Jesus. In the wonderful name of our master, we pray.